the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Can you really change your brain? According to today's guest, Dr. Daniel Amen, you're not stuck with the brain you were born with. You can change it and change your life. Dr. Amen is one of America's leading psychiatrists and brain health experts. He has authored or co-authored 70 professional articles and more than 30 books, including the New York Times mega bestseller, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. Dr. Amen has appeared on numerous television shows, including Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, The Doctors, and The View. He was a consultant for the movie Concussion starring Will Smith, and he appeared on the Emmy-winning show, The Truth About Drinking. Dubbed America's most popular psychiatrist by The Washington Post, Dr. Amen's work has been featured in Newsweek, Time, The New York Times, The Washington Post, ABC World News, and 2020, among others. Welcome, Dr. Eamon. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me. So, Doctor, you are recognized as a brain health expert. What is it that led you to be so interested in the brain? Well, it's funny. I was a really good neuroscience student in medical school, but I never really thought about my own brain until I got a chance to look at it. So at Amen Clinics, Xavier Clinics around the country, uh, including one in Manhattan, when we started looking at the brain, I looked at mine, and I'm like, oh, that's not healthy. Because <laughs> uh-huh. I played football in high school and had meningitis as a young soldier. Uh-huh. And my 60-year-old mother had a better-looking brain than I did at 37. And I then became obsessed with, well, can I make it better? And if I make it better, will I have more energy, more focus, a better mood, better decisions? And it really just transformed everything I did for myself, but also for my patients. So, doctor, let's start there. The the brain that you had at age 37, if someone has been living a lifestyle that may not have been kind to his or her brain... Is it ever too late to make the changes that can cause it to be healthier? Well, that's one of the most exciting things we've learned is it's really never too late that the habits you do today will improve or worsen your brain tomorrow. And so learning how to love and care for your brain and then um, well, what are the strategies I can do to optimize it um, really is so exciting. And and I work with a group at Stanford on how people change, and they change through these little tiny habits. You know, what's the smallest thing I can do today that'll make the biggest difference? And I came up with this question, which is the tiny habit of brain health. It's before you go and do something today, just ask yourself, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if you love yourself, you'll choose good because it's never you should do the right thing. It's about love. I do the right thing because I love my life. I love my wife. I love my mission. I love me. And so 
too many people get hung up on, oh, I can't have this and I can't have that. And it's like, come on, God gave you a big brain for a reason. Mm -hmm. There are 10,000 good things you can do. Um, So, for example, food's hugely important in this. And I only want to eat foods I love that love me back. Uh, You know, and probably a lot of your listeners have been in a bad relationship. I've certainly been in bad relationships in the past. And I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm for sure not doing that with the food I eat because I have a choice. And the food I eat, well, will it love me back? I only eat things I really love, but will it love me back? Doctor, in addition to food, what are some of the biggest factors that influence brain function? So the air you breathe, the water you drink, the thoughts you think, all of this matters. And the food you eat, the relationships you have. Whenever we evaluate someone in Amen Clinics, we look at their brain that's really important to us. But we also evaluate their brain in these four big circles. So what's the biology, the physical function of your brain? What's the psychology? How do you think? And we live in a world of undisciplined thinkers. Um, What's the social circle? So who do you hang out with? The fastest way to get healthy is to find the healthiest person you can stand and spend as much time around him or her as possible. And the spiritual circle, which is ultimately about why do you care? Why are you on the planet? What's your sense? of meaning uh, and purpose because purposeful people live longer. They're happier. They're more engaged in their lives. With this 24-7 world that we live in, the technology and this constant stimulus, are our brains on overload? Are they, are they short-circuiting? Well, <laughs> our attention span is withering. Right. Uh, and it's so we're being bombarded by technology that was purposefully made to be addictive. So we just have to like start with that. Uh, And I have a new book I just finished uh, that'll be out next year called The End of Mental Illness. And because these things aren't mental, they're brain. And when you get that, it just changes everything. And in the book, I talk about the evil ruler. If I was an evil ruler, well, what would I do to create mental illness? And the first thing I do is create addictive phones and addictive food and addictive gadgets to steal your attention. And then I would have you pay attention to things that are angry, divisive, or make you feel like you're less than other people. This is a, it's a serious situation because I worry about our children. I have two sons that are in their 20s and I see a major difference in them from people my own age, and it really makes me nervous about the little kids that are growing up today with all of this technology. We have no idea what their brains are going to be like when they're older. Well, you know, there's some new studies, and it's just not good uh, that people spend more time on social media, have thinner brains, that the cortex of their brain is actually thinner. That's a bad thing. Um and they're addicted. I mean, you can even see them as young as one-year-olds, that if their parents have given them the phone a fair amount to babysit them, that they can't stop looking. And that's a really bad thing. So, Doctor, as I'm getting older, one of the things that I experience, and a lot of my friends complain about it as well, is that we seem to have this brain fog or this memory loss. I mean, I know I can walk into a room and as I'm entering the room, forget why I was going in. And sometimes in a conversation with someone like you during an interview, I think I know where I'm going and I totally lose my train of thought. Why is that happening? Is it because of all the things we just discussed? Well, it's not normal. So that's important to understand. People who complain of memory problems, if they don't do something about it, 80% of the time they get worse. And so the question to ask yourself, is my memory worse than it was 10 years ago? And if it is, you should do something about it. And in my book, Feel Better Fast and Make It Last, which is out now, I talk about if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And we know what they are. 
And I have a mnemonic I like called Bright Minds. So, for example, to be in Bright Minds is for blood flow. Low blood flow is the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, we see that on the imaging work we do. The study we do is called SPAC, and SPAC looks at blood flow and activity. You also know if that's you if you don't exercise. It goes with lower blood flow. If you smoke um, or you vape, if you drink much caffeine, constricts blood flow to the brain. If you have any form of heart disease or hypertension, all of those um, decrease blood flow to the brain. So for these 11 risk factors, it's like know which ones you have and then attack them. So with blood flow, it's like the supplement ginkgo helps. Exercise helps. Certain foods like beets, rosemary, cayenne pepper can help. So none of it's hard. You just have to know, well, what are my risk factors? And age is a risk factor. And what a lot of women don't know is, yes, when you go through menopause, lower progesterone and estrogen goes with lower blood flow to the brain. So I'm a fan of testing it, bioidentical hormone replacement. But a lot of women don't know 10 years before you go into menopause, your hormones are already shifting, especially progesterone goes low. And when that happens, it means women are becoming more irritable. They have more trouble sleeping. They're more anxious. And then they start to drink more or they get on mommy's little helper like Xanax or they start taking antidepressant medication. All of those things can lower blood flow to the brain and make you worse. You just mentioned antidepressants. I know a lot of people that are taking them. Do you think that those types of drugs are overprescribed? No question in my mind. 23% of women between the ages of 20 and 60 are taking antidepressant medication. Depression is not a Prozac deficiency. It means your brain's not healthy. So what are the things, you know, head-to-head against antidepressants, fish oil has been shown to be equally effective. Walking like you're late, 45 minutes, four times a week, equally effective. Um, learning how to not believe every stupid thing you think. So if you get sad, first thing to do is not get on a medication that you're going to have trouble stopping. It's to check your lifestyle and make sure you're doing the right thing. I saw a cartoon this week where toxic drugs and surgery versus lifestyle changes. And uh, the window for lifestyle changes was empty. But there was this huge line for toxic medication and surgery. And that's a real frustration point for me. Because in medical school, I learned first do no harm. Use the least toxic, most effective treatment. And there's this great new study out of Australia where they went to the outer islands. And one outer island had fast food restaurants. Another outer island did not have fast food restaurants. And they randomly got 100 people in each island, and they measured in their blood their omega-3 fatty acid level. And then the island with fast food was significantly lower, and that island had five times the level of depression than the island without fast food. So your diet matters. Another study that showed that if you just put more colorful fruits and vegetables in your diet, it significantly improved your mood. And, you know, the food we're feeding people in this country, it's killing us. The D in Bright Minds is diabetes. And 40% of us are obese, 70% of us overweight. I published two studies that show as your weight goes up, the size and function of your brain goes down, which should just scare the fat off anybody. Um, so if we really work on our diet, our brains can be so much better. Well, and that's what your work teaches because conditions like anxiety, depression, anger, obsessions, they are brain issues. 
And, and, you know, it's when we take these drugs, it's just putting a Band-Aid and not getting to the root cause of, of what might be going on. And it sounds like we have a lot more power to heal this than we think we do. And that's all wonderful news. It's all wonderful news. You just have to know better because when people know better, they tend to do better. And we need to do something better. Um, I was at the White House about a year ago and we were talking about the opiate epidemic. And, you know, the big idea I had was we need a national brain health initiative. We need to teach kids and workplaces and churches to love their brain so that we would never want to poison it. But most people never develop a personal relationship with their brain. So when I saw my scan, I developed a personal relationship. I'm like, that's bad. I can do better. And 20 years later, my brain was fuller, fatter, healthier. You are not stuck with the brain you have, but you have to first fall in love with it. Doctor, I believe in the power of our thoughts, and a majority of our daily thoughts are negative, and they're the same thoughts that we had from the day before. So what advice do you offer our listeners to help them shift these automatic negative thoughts so we can better utilize brain power? You know, I write about this a lot, and this is something they actually should have taught us in second grade, which is you don't have to believe every stupid thing you think. From an evolutionary standpoint, our brains are wired for fear because knowing that something is going to eat you helps you prevent being eaten. And so often we wake up or we spend our days predicting the worst possible thing that's going to happen, and we don't know how to manage our minds. And the simple, tiny habit to get your mind right is whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, write down what you're thinking and then just ask yourself if it's true. If you absolutely know it's true. I stole this from my friend Byron Katie. She wrote a great book called Loving What Is. And I just, it's a great ant killing book. So ant, automatic negative thoughts. If you don't correct them, they start to multiply. And if you're hanging out with negative people, your ants will mate with their ants and all of a sudden you have super ants and you feel awful and it's not a, a fun time. But you don't have to believe every stupid thought you have. Tell us about the Daniel Plan. How can following this program improve health and well-being? Well, goodness, it was about it was almost nine years ago that Pastor Rick Warren at Saddleback Church called me. Um, and Saddleback's one of the largest in the world. They have 18 locations. He said, I'm fat. My church is fat. Will you help me? He saw me on public television talk about the dinosaur syndrome, big body, little brain. You're going to become extinct if we don't get control over this. And so together with my friend, uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, we created the Daniel Plan for Saddleback Church based on these five pillars. So faith, why do you care? food, fitness, focus, which is focus on brain health, and friends, we get better together or sick together. And the first week we launched it in 2011, 15,000 people signed up. The first year they lost a quarter of a million pounds. It was really exciting. And now thousands of churches around the world have done the Daniel Plan. And um, I'm just so blessed to be able to teach people, love your brain, love your body, know how to care for it, because it's going to take you through the rest of your life. And, you know, I turned 65 and I love my four children, but quite honestly, I never want to have to live with them. And I love them. <laughs> I never want to be a burden. I don't want them taking my license from me. I don't right. want them, you know, I'm dealing with all this stuff from my, with my own dad. And, but if that's true, that I love my independence, then that means I have to take care of my brain. If you would like to get more information about the Daniel Plan or any of Dr. Amen's work, you can visit DanielAmonMD.com. Dot com. Doctor, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, the big message of my work is you're not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better. I can prove it. 
and you just have to know how. Um, you know, some of my books, like you mentioned, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, or my new book, Feel Better Fast. Uh, they can learn about our clinics at amenclinics.com. Um, it's, it's just the most exciting advance in medicine is you're not stuck with the brain you have. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and for talking about the power of the brain. As you explain, there's much that we can do to tap into that power and to learn how to use our brain instead of allowing it to use us. So thank you for spending time with us. Thanks so much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. If you're a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctor's told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to Forever young.org to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number four, everyoung.org. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. We all want to live a happy, productive life. But sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a transformational life coach and reinvention expert who helps her clients move through life's challenges and transitions with purpose, passion, and clarity to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss the importance of self-compassion. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. So, Linda, self-compassion is really much more than just being kind to ourselves. So how do you describe self-compassion and why is it so important to our mental, emotional and physical health? Self-compassion is the practice of honoring yourself, not just when things are going smoothly, but also and even more importantly, when life is challenging. Self-compassion is a necessary and healthy alternative to the typical knee-jerk reaction so many of us have to criticize ourselves during tough times. When we're going through a rough patch or experiencing suffering of any sort, self-compassion becomes the comforting, non-judgmental voice within that helps us find meaning, perseverance, and acceptance. It keeps us from getting stuck in a cycle of criticism, negativity, and perfectionism, all of which negatively affect our mental, emotional, and physical well-being. Self-compassion is really a gift we give ourselves that results in strength and resilience as a byproduct of taking good care of ourselves. In some ways, self-compassion is the foundation of all healing because having self-compassion means you're being kind, understanding, and forgiving towards yourself, much as you would be towards a good friend who's struggling. You would give them grace 
self-compassion is giving yourself grace instead of grief. Most of us are not very good at the practice of self-compassion. So how then can we learn to develop this critical skill? You know, even if you don't feel you're very good at the practice of self-compassion right now, the good news is for everyone, no matter how much pain or suffering you may be carrying inside, it's still possible to develop self-compassion. Begin by noticing how you talk to yourself when things go awry. If you tend to be self-critical and judgmental more often than not, I invite you to be aware of two important things that will help you reverse this process. The first is to simply notice and acknowledge that harsh judging voice inside your head. We all have it. Next, be willing to pause and notice how it makes you feel. Then ask yourself, would you like to feel differently? If you're willing to change the way you treat yourself in the face of mishaps, difficulties, and struggles, you're halfway there. Once you begin to notice the negative self-talk, you can remind yourself to choose different language. Begin to treat yourself like you would treat a dear friend or family member. I encourage people to really stop, choose more empowering words, and sit with the new feeling those words carry. Imagine how differently you feel when choosing kind, comforting, sympathetic, or forgiving words instead. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And soon you're going to find your default reaction is to be more gracious and less judgmental towards yourself. When you begin to practice self-compassion, you begin to understand that you're perfectly lovable just as you are right now, even if you have goals and aspirations for greater personal growth. Linda, some people believe that self-compassion means to be selfish and that it would lead to self-indulgence or even self-pity. How does self-compassion differ? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's really important to recognize the differences. Self-compassion is a very different quality from self-indulgence or self-pity. Someone who is self-indulgent is hedonistic. They have an unrestrained focus on pursuing pleasure or self-gratification, whereas self-compassion is simply being loving and forgiving towards yourself. Now let's consider someone who tends towards self-pity. They're immersed in feeling sorry for themselves, and this even suggests that they may feel they're a victim without a chance to create better circumstances. By contrast, with self-compassion, you acknowledge you're capable of better And you have a choice to act on that belief by using more empowering words and actions. Big difference. Don't worry that having self-compassion will make you develop a superego. This too is different because an egotistical person usually sees themselves as better than others or intentionally elevates their own needs above everyone else's. But a person who practices self-compassion tends to value everyone's happiness and they're self-aware enough to know the importance of being kind and loving toward themselves as well as towards others. Having self-compassion means you honor who you are. You honor and understand your imperfections, limitations, your humanness. When we accept that we're going to fall down sometimes and we stop beating ourselves up for it, everything becomes easier, more peaceful. There's less drama and irritation because we can be compassionate towards ourselves. Clearly, we all go through challenges and difficult circumstances, so we all need a compassionate side of ourselves to get through them. Cultivating a mindset of compassion makes this possible and allows us to move through the tough stuff with more ease and grace. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. It's a really wonderful reminder that unless we learn how to honor ourselves, it's very difficult to honor others. So if you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit her website, livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. Do you know what you ate at your last meal? If you do, bravo. Was it a healthy meal? There's a chance you don't remember what you ate yesterday. Why is this? Could it be that you are in a mindless mode where you just grab something to eat and run? Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. A challenge in today's world is mindless eating, where we rush from place to place, meal to meal, without giving it much thought or deriving any pleasure or benefit from the meal experience. Frequently, we eat more when we approach eating mindlessly. It has been shown that just slowing down the pace in which we eat can help us lose 
weight, enjoy our food more, and experience less stress. A healthy relationship with yourself and with food is essential to your well-being. Making yourself and your eating habits a priority is the first step towards improved eating well-being. It is equally important to address the emotional aspects of your life in order to properly nourish yourself. A growing number of studies confirm that by eating slower, you consume fewer calories. It is thought that by doing just this one step, that it could lead to a 20-pound weight loss in just one year. It takes about 20 minutes for a brain to register that we are full. If you eat too fast, you will generally eat more than is needed to be full. Another benefit to eating slower is that you tend to chew your food better, which leads to better digestion. You have more power than you think to improve your eating habits and to deepen your awareness of the meal experience. If you need a health and wellness coach to partner with you, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Joining me is Taya Kyle, the widow of American sniper Chris Kyle. Taya is the founder of the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation and author of American Wife, a memoir of love, war, faith, and renewal. Welcome, Taya. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Taya, your life story has captivated millions through the movie American Sniper, which starred Bradley Cooper as Chris and Sienna Miller, who played you. Did you ever think that your story would generate such a response? No, I, you know, Chris and I both really did not think that it would from the beginning with American Sniper. And, you know, it turns out that it's just a lot of people's story. It resonates because it's not just us. It's a lot of people who serve and their families who are represented through our story. For those of us that are not directly involved with people that are serving, we don't think about the day-to-day sacrifice that all of you make. And I think this movie, your story brought it to life. So when you met Chris and you fell in love with him, did you know that this is what you were signing up for? It's really common for people to think that they have an idea of what they're signing up for in any marriage. But I don't know that any of us truly know because we don't know what's coming down the pike and we don't know what will hit us just in general, outside of the military or in. So I think I knew that there would be some difficult times or deployments, but that really paled in comparison to how much I loved him and how at peace I felt when I was with him. Did you expect him to do four tours? You know, typically they're supposed to have two combat deployments and then have a break, like a mandatory different duty for a year or two just to give them that mental break. And they did they just didn't do that with Chris. And so I knew that he would be deployed a lot. I knew that he would have training a lot. But there was no way to expect that it would be continuous deployments and workups from the day he, you know, got through buds to really when he left the military. There's no way to predict that. So tell us about your relationship with Chris. How did you meet, and when did you know he was the one? We met we met right at a bar in San Diego, you know, just a random place to meet, but he really had the kindest heart, and he, he seemed very genuine and idealistic in a way that I found extremely charming. He was not macho at all. He was just confident and humble at the same time. It was a very interesting dynamic, and then it was just something about him. It made me happy. And I really didn't know that it would ever be anything serious, especially because he was in the military. And that was not a life that I wanted at all. And uh, just in time, I got to know him more and, and I couldn't help it. I just, I just adored him. So Taya, for someone who you just described as being kind and loving and compassionate, what do you think those four tours did to him? How was he able to compartmentalize that life with his life here? I think what happens is you just have a weight that's on you. And it's something that I think happens with a lot of people, even me, if you look at my life and maybe the innocence or the naivety that you have as you're growing up, and then life really has a way of sometimes handing it to you. And you have no choice but to cope and compartmentalize, but it's a, very, it's a big struggle to figure out how you do that and not let the negative things overpower you. So for Chris, he did have some of those negative impacts. He did have the sleepless nights or the moodiness and the struggle in trying to 
keep what happened on the battlefield in the battlefield and, and keep the kindness and softness. But it's not easy for anybody, and it's something you can't give up on. And it's something that, unfortunately, there is no answer to. There's no pr- way to predict how it's going to play out, which I think is scary for most people. But I think it goes back to having faith that if you just keep taking steps, it eventually will work out in some way, even if you don't know exactly how. Taya, we hear so much about post-traumatic stress disorder and how our veterans suffer. Each time that Chris came home, did you see a change in him? Did it progress? I think each time was definitely different, but the problem is when you're going through it, and this is one of the reasons why uh, we're having the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation is so focused on marriages of veterans and first responders, because the changes are small and you at some point lose sight of being able to identify it as just a struggling warrior. You wonder if the person is changing as people sometimes will in life. So, you know, every time he would come back from a deployment, our life would be different too. We had one kid and we had two kids or we had just been married. And it's hard to identify if it's the life changes or if it's the time apart or if it's the stress of war, you just know that both people, it's taking a toll on both people. One of the things about your story that really impacted me, that it must have been extremely difficult for you to deal with, was that Chris served four tours, and every time he went away, I'm, I'm sure you were praying and, and just hoping that he would return home safely, and he did each time. But then he was killed right here at home, He survived the unthinkable and then met this fate. How were you able to deal with this and come to terms with what happened in order to move forward? Well, I think that part of it is I I know that none of us have any guarantee. You know, I've lost different people in the United States before, and I know that we have to really appreciate every moment we have because there are no guarantees. And then the horrifying part to me was that he and his friend were killed by somebody they were trying to help. To me, it was the act of somebody literally murdering them while they were in a peaceful environment trying to provide help. That is what I think was even harder to accept and to get my head around. And at the same time, I know that evil exists and I know that people are evil no matter what country you're in. There are going to be people who truly are have an ability, let's put it that way, truly have an ability to be evil. And I know you have a very strong faith. What role did that play in helping you heal? I think it was everything, truly. It's, you know, aside from my friends and family who have been absolutely amazing, it's my faith in God that's always gotten me through. It got me through the deployment. And with Chris's death, I need to believe that I will see him again. And I do believe that. So, you know, I guess I would say it's the way I just said it almost makes it sound like I need it, therefore I believe it. But the truth is the opposite. I believe it and I've come to depend on it. It's been reported that Bradley Cooper nailed his portrayal of your husband, Chris. What do you think? Was he able to embody Chris? Did you feel like you were looking at your husband? Incredible. I mean, truly awe-inspiring. I give him so much credit for his ability to really go above and beyond and know Chris in a very real um, intimate way, I would say, because he got into his heart and his mind and his soul, and he knows who Chris is, and he brought that to the screen, and that that did not come easily. I mean, that came with a lot of work, a lot of dedication, and a lot of commitment that I, you know, that's, that's something I can never repay, you know, the gift that he gave us in, in really bringing Chris to the screen. And what about you, Taya? What was it like to see an actress like Sienna Miller portray you? It's interesting because I was so focused on Chris when I first saw it. And then I realized that, you know, emotionally, Sienna, her portrayal brought out those emotions in me, which I think is a testament to how good of an actress she is. I mean, I I felt what she felt as she was going through it again, you know, all over again. She's a phenomenal person and actor. And so I, I do feel like she, you know, she did a great job. The book is American Wife, A Memoir of Love, War, Faith, and Renewal by Taya Kyle. If you'd like to learn more about Taya or about the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, you can visit the website chriskylefrogfoundation.org. Taya, in our final moments, what needs to be done to help our veterans and what can we do to help those that serve? 
That's a great question. And I think that really whatever your gift is, if you bring it to the table, you're helping someone. So your gift is, you know, you inspire people and you have a radio program and you're doing your part just by raising awareness. And there are other people who have written songs or other people who serve and they, they seek out charities and they want to help. And then there are people that every day do little things, whether it's buying a veteran and their family a meal if they see them at a restaurant or, you know, putting a flag in their yard on a national holiday or uh, writing them a note or supporting their family by babysitting or mowing the lawn when somebody's deployed. Those kinds of things, they mean the world to people who are serving. And if you just heard anything that moved you, please visit org to get more information. Taya, thank you so much for being here with us today. I am so sorry for your loss, and I'm so sorry for the pain that you've experienced. But I'm so happy that you were able to turn this tragedy into something good and that you're touching so many lives. So thank you for being here and for sharing your story with us. Well, thank you so much. I really, truly appreciate the support and the awareness everybody is is taking from the book and the movie. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. What is yoga? Are you curious to try? Hi, I'm Carrie Carapito from KP Holistic Health and Fitness. I'm a yoga teacher and holistic health and lifestyle coach. People tend to automatically associate yoga with contorting positions. While stretching and strengthening the body can be a big part of yoga, that's not all of it. There are so many different schools and styles of yoga that there is something for everyone. The word yoga is a Sanskrit word meaning union or to yoke or join. Union with what? Union of breath, mind, and body. Union of body, mind, and spirit. Union with the divine. Yoga has been practiced for at least 5,000 years. The old yogis wanted answers to questions they had, and they learned these answers can be found within by connecting to the universe. Since they wanted to sit longer in meditation, they developed the asanas, or poses, so their bodies would be more comfortable sitting in meditation for longer periods of time. Want to learn more? Visit my website at knpholistic.com or call 973-823-1600. Do you know what you want out of life, but believe it just can't happen for you? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad. I'm a certified life coach. I work with women at a crossroads in life. I specialize in supporting women with fertility issues. One reason you may feel your goal isn't attainable is called a limiting belief. A limiting belief is something you accept about life, about yourself, about the world, or about the people in it that limits you in some way. Some examples are maybe some social beliefs. For example, introverts can't be a leader. Women can't have family and a career. Here are some tips to challenge the limiting belief. Ask yourself some questions like this. Where did this belief come from? What evidence supports this belief? How true is that belief really? To learn more, please contact me at jessicalconrad.com or you can book a free discovery call at helphopehappy.com. Have you recently found a love interest through an online dating site, but something just doesn't feel right? You might be the victim of a romance scam. Hi, I'm Dan Coleman, professional investigator and founder of Creative Solutions Investigative Services. I'm often called upon to confirm the identity of a person someone met through an online dating website. Unfortunately, their stories always end with a new love interest asking for money. These skilled scammers set up fake profiles on dating sites geared toward mature or Christian singles with the romancing starting quickly. They present themselves as a thoughtful, caring, and loving individual who is looking for their soulmate. They're very skilled at what they do. They ask a lot of questions about what you want from your life. The scammer then takes that information and creates a dream world telling you all the things you've always wanted to hear. The courting period could take place over several weeks or even months. Once they've established a relationship, then the scamming begins. In all cases, the plea for financial assistance is the key to the scam. If you suspect you or someone you love are the victim of a romance scam, don't be embarrassed. These people are very skilled at what they do. There are websites devoted to protecting victims of romance scams. Don't hesitate to report them to these websites or call the FBI Internet Crime Compliance Center. If you need more information or assistance, you can reach me, Dan Coleman, through my website, csinvestigations.info. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Today is Alexis Brink, president of the Jinshin Institute located in New York City. Alexis has been a practitioner of the art of Jinshin since 1991. Alexis is the author of The Art of Jinshin. She's here today to discuss Jinshin to keep the body balanced. Welcome, Alexis. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. It's nice to be here today. So, Alexis, it is so important for us to keep our body balanced. How can Jinshin help us achieve this goal? Well, Jinshin uh, harmonizes the body, the mind, and the spirit, so everything is connected. The spirit manifests in the chest line, and the mind in the waistline, and the body in the hip line. So it harmonizes all of this. And so uh, today I'm going to teach you a, a quick fix for the supervisor flow, balancing the right and left side of the body and helping this body, mind, and spirit connection. The quickie for the supervisors is make sure that the right and left side are in balance. The right side of the body has to do with our lifestyle, and the left side has to do with the older, more genetic stuff. So it'll be interesting to see which side feels more in need to you. So, for example, if you have projects coming up on the left side of the body, it tells you something about your genetic predisposition or older stuff. And if you have more projects on the right side, it tells you something about today's lifestyle. So to harmonize right and left side and body, mind, and spirit, um, here's the simple flow. It's a two-step flow. And I'm going to show it to you on the right side. I'm going to tell you how to do it on the right side of the body. So you place your left hand on top of the shoulder. And then you place the right hand on the top of the thigh near the groin area. And this allows the energy to go down. It allows for the exhale all the way down to the toes so that it can come up. So this hold, which is SEL 11, the top of the shoulder, and SEL 15, which is in the groin area on the upper thigh, helps everything on the back of the body. You can hold this right now and take a few nice breaths. And make sure you're completely exhaling so that the energy can come up the back. So this is very helpful for back projects as well. And so when you hold this for a couple of minutes or a minute, it depends how much time you have, then you can place the right hand on the sits bone. And this allows for the energy to go up the back or our inhale. And this hold will help everything on the front. So it helps stomach aches, it helps digestion, it helps the liver and the gallbladder. And so you're helping all 26 safety energy locations on the right side. So this is a quick fix to help the whole right side of the body. So you can reverse this and do this on the left side. So you place your right hand on the left shoulder, on top of the shoulder, and the left hand in the left groin area on the upper thigh. And again, make sure you're exhaling and inhaling completely. And then place your left hand on the sits bone, SEL 25, helping everything on the front of the body. So you can do this on both sides, first to the right side and then to the left side. Then you're really balancing the right and left side of the body. So this is really good for daily maintenance and this is good for everybody. Alexis, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more, you can visit jinshininstitute.com. And as always, to hear more from Alexis, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Alexis. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones.
When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep, and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up. The loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. There's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>